Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into another episode of the Crimson Corner. I am your host and Utah Youth Insider for KSL Sports, Michelle Bodkin. Uh, we are counting down some of the University of Utah's biggest, best, most special teams that they've ever had. Last week, we talked about the 1994 team that really kind of set the tone, I think, for where everything has gone to today. We're jumping around a bit this go around, uh, some scheduling problems with my 04 contact. We will be doing that next week. So we're going to go ahead and jump ahead to the 08 season, which uh, is kind of one of my personal favorites because I was in college then. I was a freshman up at the U and this whole thing took place. And my guest was on this team. Everybody welcome in Stevenson Sylvester, linebacker for the University of Utah uh, and just an amazing player on that 08 team and out of a lot of amazing players actually on that 08 team. So Sly, you know, what's going on? Hey, Michelle, thanks for having me on. Life is good. Football season is back in effect. So I'm, uh, I'm very busy. I'm loving life. There's so much things to talk about. So um, it's just a great time of year. I could not agree more. You and I will actually be doing uh, one of the high school football games next week. So that'll be fun. That's something that everybody should look out for. Uh, but I mean, we're really, we're here to talk about the 2008 team uh, and talk about a team that once again, kind of just defied all odds. Nobody thought that a team would ever be able to break the BCS. Utah was of course the first to do that in 2004. And then four years later, you know, the same conversations being had, well, there's no way that these little schools can break it a second time. There's no way. And Utah ends up being the first again to do that, to do that. And, and I think it ultimately was the springboard that sent Utah to the Pac-12 and on this new adventure that we've kind of been on. Talk about that time frame and, and what was just kind of going on in the football facility 
you know, maybe even the year before leading up to that 2008 year? Well, honestly, for me and, and kind of my memory um, of that year is I got to give all credit to uh, the 2014. 2014 really set the stage uh, to make it possible because even before us, you know, you had the Boise State right after that. And then you had, um, you know, Hawaii go against Georgia. So the fact that Utah did its thing in 2004 and gave those schools the opportunity to even jump into those at-large big games and uh, and make it a thing was was just purely awesome. So um, they gave us a stage to play against a team like Alabama to give us the opportunity, even though 92% of the, the, the country didn't agree with us that we would win except for the state of Utah. So, um, which lets you know is that we only need us. We only need us. And, and, um, but uh, to go back to your question, uh, the feelings that year was just, it started right after the 2007 bowl game at the Poinciata Bowl against Navy, right? And um, honestly, me just looking at how many guys are coming back, just knowing that we're going to get Brian Johnson coming back healthy for the next season, all the defensive guys that we had, because we, we were coming off of this, this eight-game winning streak. We started the 07 year really, really terrible um, going like one and three and, um, well, we beat, uh, UCLA, which was ranked number 11 in the country. And then we went on this crazy winning streak, uh, losing to BYU, but winning our bowl game. But during that winning streak, it let us know like, man, we have a team here. We have some young talent that is, that is able to make some things happen, right? We go up and we beat, you know, the number 11 team in the country, 44 to six. And then we rummage through, the the Mountain West and and do our thing and we got a team we just got to put in that work so as soon as that game ended the Poinciata Bowl in 2007 Coach Wick came up to me and was like look this team is yours it'll go it'll go as much as you go so you got to make it happen and that to a young guy 19 20 years old uh, Coach Whittingham saying that to you I just took that you know uh, with 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 the biggest challenge and so becoming a leader uh, during that off season we trained so hard. And we did so many things together. And I think that's what a lot of these guys have done in the off season. Michelle, you've covered it a lot in this off season of what the different things these guys were doing outside of football to create that chemistry um, that you see on the football field, right? Because it goes beyond the football field. If you want to have success on the field, you got to have success everywhere else. And you got to have that connection everywhere else. And I think these guys have done exactly what we did in that 08 year at creating that camaraderie outside of football to make it very easy on the gridiron. And so um, all of the, the the feelings and the hype was coming into the season. Of course, we didn't have the hype that this team has mm-hmm. this year, but you know, and then rolling through that season, we got TCU and, and BYU and, and um, Oregon State, who's on our calendars, who we can foresee as being big matchups, but they're, like when you look at things, you like it's being spread enough apart that we can make it happen. They're not back to back, you know, juggernauts that we're facing. And um, I was like, the schedule just fits. It's not an easy schedule, but it's it's a schedule that we can definitely make some things happen. And that's just what happened. We had we were so deep at every position, and we just we made it happen. Deep at running back, deep at receiver, deep at uh, offensive line and D line, and and even in the linebacker room. Um, we just had uh, people to go. So every practice was a challenge. We, we, we took that uh, good on good, still sharpening steel 
um, mentality. And we just went through the season and took every opponent serious until we got all the way to the Sugar Bowl. So, I mean, like I think most good to great teams, you guys had a feeling beforehand that that you could do something special. What was the game during that year that you guys all kind of looked at each other and were like, whoa, like this, this could really be something. Um, besides the Michigan game, you know, I, I think that was one where, you know, uh, there was a lot of stipulations, you know, going into that game, but, um, you know, coming out of that, you know, with the win, it was like, man, we got this, we can win. Uh, we had the lead for the majority of the game. We kind of made it interesting at the end by letting them come back. But um, we know our capabilities. So we just got to go in and do this. So I think that Michigan game was a, a great proponent to knowing the type of talent. But if there was a single game that year um, that let us know that we had something special before things started coming to fruition, because I really think that things started molding when the TCU game happened, right? Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, Utah wins this game. They're in it, right? Um, but before that, I think it was that Oregon State game. Honestly, it was that Oregon State game because that was a game that we were, that was a game that we were behind the ball, mm-hmm. right? It was a short week, game on Thursday night. Uh, we just played Weber State the week before. Uh, we actually got banged up pretty good in that Weber State game. For some reason, we got banged up pretty good. So we didn't come into the Oregon State game that was completely healthy. Oregon State gate game got actually 10 days of rest before that game. So almost like an entire bye week. So let alone that, we had a short week. Our opponent had an even longer time to rest. And they just beat the number one team in the country in USC. Mm-hmm. So everybody thought that we were not supposed to win that game. And I think there, there was a lot of people on our side that was just like, okay, if we lose this game, we know why. Oregon State's pretty good, yada, yada, yada. But pulling out that win, uh, showing the resilience. If we go back and watch that game, there were so many up and down moments mm-hmm. where, where we were doing good and then we do bad. And then we were doing good. And then next, you know, everybody, uh, we would do bad and everybody leaving the stadium and Brian Johnson puts us on his back and takes us down and Louisa Cota takes us home. Right. I think after that game, the Oregon state game is what really set the stage for what was the most remarkable year in Utah football history. I'm so glad you mentioned that game because everybody is so fixated on that TCU game. And yes, it was a great game, especially towards the end. Uh, But as far as like just being the more interesting of the two comeback type of games, that Oregon State game had it all. Like it was very back and forth. Uh, You just weren't really sure who was going to take it. I I personally think that game is very underrated in that season. Uh, And, and to your point, famously, Brian Johnson looks and sees the crowds leaving the stadium. Well, we're going to make them sorry that they left and missed this show. And sure. No reentry, no reentry for you. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, seriously. Uh, You know, speaking of Brian Johnson, I think one of the cornerstones of really good teams is good quarterback leadership. And I, you're hard put to find anyone better than Brian Johnson, maybe perhaps not the most technically talented guy, but as far as like belief in himself and belief in his teammates, few come close to him. I do see a bit of Brian Johnson and Cam Rising. Uh, do do you see any kind of parallels there? 
I think Brian Johnson's uh, key skill set was his savviness. Um, if you talk to Coach Witt, even before I came here in 2006, everybody was just talking about how smart Brian Johnson is. And um, still to this day, the guy is just ex extremely intelligent. As you can see, he's the, he's the quarterback coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. But um, I think his savviness and understanding the game of football was his biggest asset. And, and understanding exactly where to put a people, where to put his team in position, where to take risks, where, cause um, I think that he had low numbers of turnovers. Like it, one of the quarterbacks that I've played with, you know, I think injuries played Brian Johnson heavily <clears throat> to having an even more stronger career. But um, I think he took care of the ball extremely well for the most part. You know, there was nothing on the defensive side of the ball where we were just like, man, dang BJ, dang, right. It was, it was just like, let's give BJ the ball again. And, or, or when BJ was injured, it's like, man, we just need BJ, you know, and, and to make decisions. Cause that's one of the key things. And, you know, we'll talk about it next week at high school football, but like these quarterbacks, man, one of the biggest things is taking care of the football and putting your team in position to win. Right. As we said, Oh wait, we were extremely deep at multiple positions as we are in 2022. This team is extremely deep at multiple positions. So let's take care of the football. And um, Brian Johnson did that, uh, gave, uh, didn't put our defense in, in bad positions. Our defense was really good. So we were able to create turnovers, get him the ball, get our offense in position to score. And we just worked together like that. But um, the semblance between Cam Rising and Brian Johnson, I do think Cam Rising is, is a bit more talented because Cam can throw the ball uh, a bit farther than, mm -hmm. than Brian Johnson can. Accuracy, Brian Johnson was very accurate, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I think the accuracy is on the same playing field, but um, the leadership and the, the team, the team chemistry around the quarterback is extremely important, right? Mm -hmm. I really feel that the team loves the quarterback, right? There's a, there's a lot of teams that I've been on where it's just like, man, the quarterback is whatever, he's pompous, he's arrogant, this and that. But when you have players that can rally around that central leader of your football team, it is paramount to your success during that football season. And I think that's exactly what Cam Rising and Brian Johnson brought to both of these teams is uh, the, the likability across, across the platform. Defensive guys rave about Cam, uh, Cam Rising. You know, defensive guys on our team rave about Brian Johnson. And so when you got your entire team backing you and supporting you, it's going to be hard to fail. And so all you got to do is just go out there and be you. And I think that makes your job easier. And that's why I think that, you know, this year is going to be incredibly special for the Utah Utes is because of Alpha One. You know, as Coach Whittingham has alluded to, he is the alpha dog on this team, which means that he has the utmost respect out of every single person from every single person on this football team. So um, that only, only bodes for success. And I can't wait to see what unfolds this year. That 2018, a lot of people talk about Brian Johnson. A lot of people talk about the running backs with like Matt Asiata, Darrell Mack. Uh, you know, obviously the defense gets talked about a lot because you basically put everyone on that unit in the NFL. Uh, but not a lot of people, I feel like, remember or talk about the wide receiver group on that team. That wide re that was probably the last really good 
wide receiver group Utah's had for a while. Uh, you know, what, what was it about guys like Jeremy Brooks and David Reed and downtown Freddie Brown that made it just like so hard for teams to defend you guys? I mean, just, just look at the names, right? You, you said Freddie Brown, Jeremy Brooks, uh, Braden Godfrey. Yes. Right? Braden Godfrey. And he was, I think he was the heart of that, that receiver room because he was so tough. He would catch the toughest balls. You put him in a dig route, a post route over the middle into tight coverage. Uh, you see it time and time again through, through highlights of the tight windows that BJ threw the ball to Braden Godfrey. And he made the toughest catches. And then uh, Freddie Brown, just, I think that they were just a unit that would just not be denied. You know, I think that it's very hard to get a wide receiver core who has the confidence that our A team had, right? And again, it's centered around that quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, am I going to get the ball, right? And, and BJ would spread the love around with the receiver group that every single play had an opportunity for somebody else to get the ball. And that's the same thing with Cam Rising. Cam Rising can extend the play. He knows where his guys are. Of course, you have your number one route. You have your number two route. But when you have those on a team with a lackluster quarterback, the other, the other two to three routes don't really run as hard. They don't, they, don't, they don't finish the routes. They don't look for the ball. But with BJ and with a Cam Rising, you never know which one of the four or five options are going to get the ball on a certain play. It could be the check down route, which last year was Cole, Cole Fotheringham at, um, at key, key clutch positions in the game third down and short, this and that. And he was the second or third option, but he ran the route so good that he became a favorite on, on third and three, third and four, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the defense has to respect Keithy and, and, and Devon Vele and, and Solomon Enos and, and Britton Covey. So they left Fotheringham open. So on this team, you don't matter who's going to run a route. You know, um, our, our, our tight end room had um, Colt Sampson and, and – um, Oh gosh, I'm forgetting wow. my guy's name. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brad. Uh, uh, Clifford. But, um, yeah. Yeah, Brad Clifford. Had Brad Clifford. And um, we were just dynamic across the board with the different things. And, and, and even Brent Castile. How am I missing Brent Castile? Right. He was, yeah. Brent Castile was one of the most dominant people ever since I stepped on campus. He, as a defender, every time we went in practice, I'm like, because he ran every single route hard, whether it was practice or the game. And when he went down in 07 and missed most of that year from ACL, he came back with a vengeance in 2008 and he wanted to make a a statement. And so like that wide receiver room, I think their confidence was just on high at knowing that they have a quarterback that's going to lead the way and and get them into the end zone. And everybody is going to be on the same page with great statistics. And um, I, I do think that that 018 receiver room was definitely underrated because it set the stage for a lot of receivers to come down the road. And then, of course, we would be remiss your defensive player, that defense, probably the one of the best. Uh, I think that 2019 team's defense is right up there as well. Uh, you know, when, when did you know that you guys as a defensive unit were going to be special? Uh, the year before, as I said, in, yeah. 2007, in 2007, after that bowl game, we played Navy. Of course, it was a triple option offense uh, in that final game. But we went on a, 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 a that win streak in 2007. And 
the reason why we felt like we were going to be good because the majority of people that were on that defense as contributors were coming back in 2008, right? It was with experience. We had Bryce McCain. We had Sean Smith who came out with emergence at the end of 07. And uh, we just knew the type of talent he was. We had Robert Johnson who emerged in 2007 uh, coming back in 08. Joe Dale, which is just as talented as Casey Evans and, 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 and Steve Payton. So that whole off season, we all took, took it under our own responsibility to go out there and, 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 and really take ownership of the football field. Cause that's what coach Whittingham preached that entire off season ownership, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the coaches. It's not the fans. It's you guys in this locker room, you guys on the field, you 11 on the field to take ownership of this football team, of how this game goes, of how you guys prepare for the game. Um, one of the greatest quotes that were up in the football facility and still today is up in there is a Michael Jordan quote is, I practice hard every single day, so I made the game easy. And so the coach took that as like, look, you guys prepare hard in the off season and the games are gonna be easy in the fall. The games in the fall in 2008 are being won and lost here in the off season right now. So with that mantra, we trained super hard coming into that 2008 season. But we just had so many uh, guys coming back from Greg Newman to Derek Shelby to um, uh, Koa Misi, Paul Kruger, uh, me, Mike Wright, Keba Geisen, uh, Naifo to, uh, I could go on for days, RJ Stanford. Uh, we just had guys all over, Brandon Burton. Like these guys were just coming back and we were all locked in and focused and we all had the same mission involved. And that's why I love football so much is because uh, when you do get to a place where you can get all 105 or how many guys you have on a roster all on the same page, it's a beautiful thing to see because you're getting a whole bunch of people working together like clockwork. And I think the ultimate master of making that happen is Coach Whittingham and then and, and really understanding how uh, an organization or how uh, a community is supposed to work. It's one of the biggest knocks on the 04 team, and it's no fault of their own, is the opponent right. that played in the Fiesta Bowl, uh, that there was this fear of letting this little team try and take on one of the bigger people because what if, what if they beat up on them and all of a sudden our argument as to why they don't belong is no longer valid. So they get put up with a crappy pit team, beat the hell out of them. And, uh, and, and that was just kind of that. And it, it just was one of those things where it's like, well, we kind of expect Utah to beat up on this team. Uh, but you guys actually got the challenge. Like you got set up with one of the biggest teams and granted maybe a little bit down at that point in time, but Alabama has a proud history. When you say Alabama, Alabama Crimson, Crimson Tide, it brings forth, you know, a certain kind of reaction, a certain kind of emotion. And, and a lot of people joke about, well, we want Bama much to, you know, it, it's usually to a detriment to themselves. It's a, it's the kiss of bad luck. You guys got Bama. What were your thoughts going into that game? As I said, man, um, all credit is due to that old four team for setting the stage for us to get the ability to face a team like Alabama uh, with, with such a rich history as Alabama does uh, within, within football. Um, but, you know, 0-4 team could only do what they 
mm-hmm. they, what was set in front of them, right? And what they needed to do was beat them so badly that it put people on notice. Like, okay, these these teams do, they do. Let's give them some more shots. Um, although Hawaii versus Georgia the year before really didn't help. <laughs> no. But um, going into this Alabama game, and it seems the way we're always catching people uh, when they're down, right? Even when people, we were talking about playing Ohio State, oh, they're not having such and such receiver here. Alabama doesn't have uh, such and such O-lineman there. So they're not good. Okay, so what about the other 21 people that are playing on the mm-hmm. football field, right? Um, but uh, to, to, to our extent, like, I mean, you looked at it, you know, you, you heard all the pregame rah-rah. It was like, oh, man, Alabama looked great. Um, they... Um, they were uh, they were perfect through practice. They're not going to miss a hitch. There's not a guy on Utah that can keep up with with any Alabama player, right? And so uh, taking that all into account, it was all about film study for us. For me, I was just so taken back when I watched film. I'm like, what makes these guys so good? Like, uh, like what, what? Why is everybody talking about them? I'm like, are they bigger? So I look up the roster and look at their height and their weight. I'm just like. Not like they're any bigger than anybody we've ever played before. It's not like they're 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 Goliath or anything like that. Um, you know, are they faster? No, we got some of the fastest people in the country. You know, Nick Saban said it before the game. I'm I am afraid of Utah speed. I think Utah speed is going to give us problems. So they knew that we were fast. We were equally as fast as them. So what was it like? Was it their complex play? Are we going to get confused on the back end with the with the type of plays that they run? And I'm watching film and I'm like, this is the most vanilla offense I've ever seen. And they dominated the SEC, right? I'm watching their Florida game. I'm watching their their Auburn game. I'm watching all of the games, their LSU games. I'm watching all these uh, great teams. And I'm just like, I can't see why people are so up on these guys. And so over and over again, that just brought me more confidence going into the game. And then we got it started right off the bat. You know, that was my mentality right off the game. And um, if you notice, right at the coin toss, I'm just like, let's get this started right now. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's start this fight right now to let you know that you ain't in for no walk in the park. This is going to be a dog fight, and we're going to fight to the end. And you're going to know that from the beginning. So we started from jump since, since the coin toss. And then that first series of defense for us on, on, on the defensive side of the ball, we took it straight to them and let them know. Next thing you know, we're up 21-0. And so – um, I think it was the mentality and the confidence of this football team and to know that we had all the components of being a championship style uh, team and uh, we just went out there and, and, and made it happen. You guys finished the year as the only remaining undefeated team. Uh, Florida, however, got the title of being national champion. Is there any bitterness there? Do you, how, how do you guys kind of feel about that, knowing that you guys actually accomplished you know, what everybody hopes to accomplish every year. And that's running the field on your, on your schedule and finishing it off with a very big win against one of the better teams in the country. Well, for me, it's, it just, the only thing that I'm kind of up in arms and sad about from that whole situation is that we'll never know. Mm -hmm. Right. We'll just never know. Um, But, you know, I can break down to you why I feel like we would, beat Florida but that's here nor there um you know and and honestly I don't take anything back you know how it was laid out 
um, I really feel like the 08 team changed a lot of history, mm-hmm. changed, changed, the, the, changed the landscape in the NCAA. Our 2008 Utah football team changed the landscape in, in, in 2008 by beating Alabama. Again, it was just like the 04 team and setting the stage of like, okay, let's give these guys a chance. And then the 08 team will go in there and smash in Alabama and be like, okay, we really have to make sure that, you know, people like Utah is in there each and every year. Because you had Boise and TCU handling business and they were at large teams as well. Handling business each and every time that they got into these football games. So you have to take these guys serious. And then next, you know, we jump to the Pac-12 and you shoot, we almost go to the Pac-12 championship within that that first year that we were in. Yes, USC was on sanctions, whatever. But, um, you know, we still competed going into the Pac-12 in our very first year. So um, it just it just lets you know that, you know, uh, that other teams are involved, open up. And then and then soon, you know, four or five years later, UCF started making uh, noise. Right. So uh, it's kind of opened the landscape is like, look, OK maybe we need to give other people a shot and stop sitting here and, and, and crowning, you know, Ohio state Clemson and, and Alabama before the season even starts. Right. Let's mm-hmm. get these guys in here and give them a shot to shock the nation, to change the narrative. Um, this, that, and the sort in Oregon with Marcus Mariota, you know, all these teams are, are, are making uh, names for themselves as, as they should. Right. And, uh, but, it's only because they're being given opportunities. When we give these guys opportunities, they're making the most of it. So, um, you know, a lot of credit goes to the 014 for getting it started, but I really think the 018 changed the landscape of the NCAA. You know, Utah has now been in a P5 for over a decade. Uh, before that, obviously, they, they have a record and a history of, uh, you know, going, going toe-to-toe with some of the bigger names in the country. Uh, and, and either compete, usually competing either really well or coming away with the win on that. Yet I still am finding when Utah meets up with new opponents last year, it was Ohio state. And I'd be talking with Ohio state fans about, you know, the game. And there's still this mentality about Utah's just a mountain West team. Uh, and it's, it's the same thing with these Florida people as well. I've had conversations with these Florida fans and they seem to think that Utah is going to walk into that place and be absolutely starstruck. And I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. Utah has been on this stage a couple of times before, and they're not afraid of anyone. And part of it's because they have some of the same coaches from beforehand. Coach Kyle Whittingham obviously has stayed around. Andy Ludwig is back despite taking some time away. Morgan Scally was part of that coaching staff in 2008, though a different position at the time. You know, this is a team that knows what they're doing uh, as far as the coaching staff goes. Is it frustrating talking to people and having them still think that Utah's small time, even though time and time again, they've kind of proven otherwise? No, keep overlooking us, right? (laughs) The people, the the, the things that matter are taking place, right? You know, the fans, fans vote on what their opinions are don't matter. Hopefully they spend more money and, and make more money go to make this thing go like, oh yeah, let's bet against Utah and then lose it all. You know, it, it, it's what, I love it. Keep, keep discounting us. It's fine. You know, we're ranked number seven in the polls and you still think we're a mountain West school. Like, okay. Um, you have the coaches respect around the nation to know that Utah's the real deal. 
and you still think that way. Okay, here nor there, whatever. But we're gonna come in there into the swamp. You know, uh, hopefully, you know, I, we, we get a lot of influence from uh, Muhammad uh, Diabate and, and let us know what that environment is like and what to do. But that is nothing that we're, we're foreign to, right? I was talking to Coach Whit before the season and, you know, he said he's only been there once, um, you know, to visit, um, to visit uh, Urban Meyer when he was down there. Um, but, you know, other than that, it, it's, it's not a different environment than stepping into the big house um, the first game of the year. And there's 110,000 fans screaming, right? It's not an environment that we're going to be shook with. And, and I, I, I think the personality of your leader, which is Cam Rising, is something to mine as well. Is like, I love going to opponent stadiums. <laughs> boo me, please. Please boo me. Give me that energy. I love it. And so I think Cam Rising takes that approach as well, and um, which is going to make this just so much easier because when you see that guy in the huddle in front of those 100,000 fans in the swamp, you know, on primetime television, and he's cool as a cucumber, it's going to make everybody else just make it happen, right? We, we're so deep at the running back position. We're so deep at the tight end position. We're so deep at the receiver position. Our O-line looks promising. Our D-line looks amazing. Our, our linebacker room is young, fast, and exciting. And we got Clark Phillips and, and JT Bryden, uh, Malone Mataele, Cole Bishop, you know, Clayton Isbell at safety. We, we have a talented football team here, and we're going to make all the noise coming into the season. So keep discounting us because going in and having this game where we're going to have an amazing game to start the year, um, it's going to set the stage for the rest of the season, right? Because Florida, hopefully we put a whooping on them. And then after we whoop them, they go in and we beat everybody else in the SEC, right? Uh, which would only make us look better, right? Mm -hmm. And all Florida fans would be like, dang, that Utah team, man, man, they are really, really good. You know, uh, we beat you guys, but you guys would struggle against Utah. That is how Utah's name keeps getting around. But if they're discounting us right now after everything that we've proven, there's not much more you can you can tell. You can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. You can show these fans all the evidence in the world that we can compete, but you can't make them believe it, right? And so uh, whatever is gonna ha whatever's gonna happen is we just gotta go in there and handle business. As soon as we start smacking Florida in the mouth, we start having uh, Keaton Bills on a pool and, and knocking their DN five yards out of bounds, and and uh, you got Tavion Thomas taking on their safeties and running people over like he's Marshawn Lynch, like that is gonna get their fans noticing. They're gonna be like, "Dang, right?" Because when we went into USC, when we played Oregon, when we uh, played Ohio State, talking to their fans, hearing their fans behind me as I'm on the sidelines, it had them shook. And so with all of that, knowing going into the season, I think that we're, we're just fine where we are. We got to control what we can control, which is the opponent in front of us and our preparation for that game. So as we said, that game in Florida is being won and lost right now in practice and in preparation for that game. Ladies and gentlemen, Stevenson Sylvester. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, man. I love the game of football, man. It's um, it's incredible. It's amazing what it's done for my life, and uh, the fact that you know everybody keeps me around it. You, you, I'm always working with you, which I know mm -hmm. you close to the football team, keeping me close. This is just amazing for me. So I truly appreciate you.
Oh, anytime. We'll have to have you on again as the season's kind of going through. Uh, you gave us some great stuff. I've got to wrap it up now, though, because uh, my thing is screaming at me that we are about out of time. So, uh, <laughs> you know, thank you again for jumping on. You have been listening to Crimson Corner. I am your host, Michelle Bodkin. Until next time, and as always, go Utes. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.